passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus your inside pass to everything Saints football. We'll take you to the places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, Hakeem drops the ball! Turn, picks a flow! And touchdown is frozen over. of the 2022 season. It is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. Oh, baby! Welcome in, Saints fans. Another edition of your favorite Black and Gold podcast, Inside Black and Gold, with Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak. We're going to be touching on some news and notes and then be getting some inside Bengals news with Mike Petralia, host of the Jungle Roar podcast, also the Bengals reporter for CLNS Media. 
Jeff, we're heading into week six. How are you feeling about this matchup? I know we got a lot of some news and notes to touch on as well. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be an interesting matchup for a few reasons, right? One of those reasons is you play again on Thursday night, a week from when we are recording this podcast. So you are playing two football games in the span of five days. And so if you have players that are you're on the fence about, right, that your options are either play through something or make sure they are good for next week, you know, you have to consider that, right? I understand you're two and three and you can't get too cute. But I I think that's going to be a factor. So we're going to get into some of that. We're going to get into some of what we saw from the players today. We also want to talk about Rashid Shahid. I got a chance to talk to him in the locker room this week, and we're going to hear from him. I can confirm that he's going to be a practice squad elevation this week. He's going to be involved on the punt and kick return teams. I don't know whether he's going to be the primary on both, but he's going to be involved. So we're going to talk a lot about that. And then we're just going to get into, you know, some of the expectations that I have and Steve has for the Bengals this week, for all those players we know we know almost too well in the Trey Hendrickson, Zedai Apples, Von Bell, Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow. I think I got them all. You know, and, and it's going to be an interesting week for sure. And shout out to Rashid Shahid just because he's probably the my most favorite name to say on this roster. It's just fun. Yeah, it just rolls off the tongue. It's a fast name for a fast guy. You know, we can just get right into it with Rashid. So the reason he's a really intriguing guy to watch this week is Deontay Hardy went down with a foot injury. It's said to be turf toe. He's not on injured reserve. And so we can get into that a little bit too, in terms of, you know, you're calling someone up in the practice squad. And we saw what can happen with those guys. They can get signed by other teams. So we'll get into a little bit of that. And so this is a guy who he is the FCS career leader in, uh, in kick return touchdowns with seven. He's obviously out of Weber state. I did ask him if he's met Dame Lillard. He has. So in case you're wondering another Weber state guy, they're friends. Maybe we can get Dame Lillard to a saints game. I'm just saying. It could be, it could happen. So you should root for Rashid Shahid if you are a Dame Lillard fan because you want to see him in the dome hanging out next to CJ McCollum. That's all I have to say. That's all I have to say. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying if you have Rashid Shahid knows knows Dame Lillard, CJ McCollum, his former teammate. I I, I don't know. I don't know. I I'm love, just saying. I love planting these little seeds already. I love it. I don't I don't know if Dame Lillard is if listens to our podcast, but if he does, uh, you know you have a seat. Just come take it. <laughs> Anyway, here, here's I, I got to talk to Rashid a little bit, and here's some exclusive audio from him in the locker room this week. Uh, have a listen. I know you haven't actually returned the kick in a live NFL game yet, mm-hmm. but I, I'm curious, you know, what are some of the differences that you've noticed just mm-hmm. in the return game from college to the pros? I know there's some absolutely. rule differences. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a little different because in college you can't double team. Right. So, so now um, I'm seeing double teams, and, you know, guys are, you know, a lot faster. You know, guys get down the field much much faster. Um, the bigger, of course, um, coming from FCS level uh, to the NFL, you know, the, the speed is, is going to change a lot. Um, but so so far, I feel like I, I, I'll handle it perfectly fine, and you know, we'll, I'll get my feet wet, and it'll just take off from there. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've always felt like you know, there are a lot of things like just from observing, you can understand what it's like. Right. I feel like looking up at a ball and catching it, as you know, these people are racing right. downfield trying to blow you up. Just <laughs> something that you can't even fathom unless you've done it. I mean, how do you just kind of go blank in those moments? Like, how do you kind of? Forget about the fact that these guys are trying to take your head off. Right, right. You kind of just have to focus in on the ball, really. You know, the ball is everything. You know, um, you got to secure it um, once you catch it. Every, everything after that's kind of easy. You know, just you just 
it's just playing football after you catch the ball when it's in the air. You know, punt return, you know, you gotta, you just gotta believe in your guys and know that that they're gonna hold up and block for you and kick return as well. And you know, the ten other guys, as long as they do their job, that my job is easy. So. Yeah. I, the other thing that I feel like in the kick return game that gets overlooked is like just fielding kicks and right. saving yards, mm-hmm. right? Right. Because I think that's something that Sean always mentioned about Deontay. Mm-hmm. He was able to get up field and field punts that people at the end of the game don't even remember, right. but it saved you 15, 20, 30 yards. Exactly. And I'm just curious, what goes into that decision, like as you're trying to decide whether to let it bounce or whether to mm-hmm. try to get under it where, you know, you right. might risk maybe muffing it? Yeah, yeah. So um, you always want to try to get under the ball and you don't want to, the ball can bounce all types of ways, you right. know what I'm saying? So you don't want to lose the yards for your team. You always want to try to run up under and catch it no matter how hard it is. Um, so yeah, yards and, and it's a game of inches. So you know every yard counts. So if we can steal a couple of yards, it doesn't matter if it's one or two. Um, you know, so it's always huge. So in any return game, very excited about the opportunity and um, to play for a guy like Riz, it's, it's, it makes it even more fun because he, he's a fiery guy. You know, and he, and he believes in me, and that just gives me confidence to go out there and play. Yeah, and, and one of the things that strikes you when you talk to Rashid, very outgoing guy, very happy to have a chance in the NFL. He's a guy who. Probably was going to get drafted, but tore his ACL in his final career college game. That is tragic, right? I mean, this is a moment that he probably expected to have. And then, you know, you go down with that injury. You don't know, especially as a kick returner, a guy who relies on pure athleticism so much to go down with that injury. You know, it's been a long road back for him. And it's just cool to see him get an opportunity, I think. Yeah, and we talked about a little, I think, last podcast, the fact that it really felt like this Saints team was trying to hide him this offseason and in the preseason, not giving him any touches at all. So other teams got a glimpse of what this guy's capable of. Um, I will say I thought it was interesting during the joint practices with the Green Bay Packers when Jameis Winston was, you know, nursing his injury, his back injury, and dealing with some things that there was a point where Winston left the practice and went to the Packers indoor practice facility. And he went inside with Rashid Shahid, I would assume to work on things with each other, uh, not in front of, you know, obviously uh, the crowd that was there kind of thing. So they got to do some work off to the side, really interested to see what this guy can do. Obviously in the return game, maybe in the offense, just for the sheer fact, you know, looking at the injury report, Still no Jarvis Landry. Still no Michael Thomas. Good news, Chris Olave at least upgraded to limited after not practicing. And, man, that's a huge surprise to me to see him progressing through the NFL concussion protocol, obviously, after that serious, what looked like a really serious injury on Sunday. Yeah, and just to kind of tie up that point on Rashid, so I think you are 100% correct that the Saints are trying to hide him in the preseason. And you might be saying, well, what's different now? Well, they were going to cut him and put him on the practice squad. So that meant that he had to go through waivers and you wanted to make sure that no one got it in their mind. They wanted to claim this guy on waivers as he's just like, Oh, we need a kick returner. Boom. You saw that happen with ASAP Winston earlier in the off season. Right. And so what's different now is you can elevate him from the practice squad and you can bring him back down to the practice squad. Now other teams can poach him if they, if they want to sign him, but he has to agree to that deal. That is not the case on waivers. Right. You can just claim someone and then continue them on that contract. So it's a different situation. Now, the reason you wouldn't sign him is there's a chance where, okay, you bring him up to the 53. He doesn't look good. You know, he, he needs more time. He's not ready. And then in order to get him back on the practice squad, you'd have to cut him and put him through waivers again. You don't want to do that. 
right? So I think it's a better scenario for the Saints for them to go this route, see how he looks. If Deontay doesn't seem like he's going to come back, then you have some options in terms of how you can go about the rest of the season. But I did think it was interesting that Deontay didn't go on injured reserve this week. Uh, There's still a chance that he does. But I, I think there's a chance what's happening here is you know, you know Deontay's going to be out for a few weeks. You can call up Rashid as many as three times before you have to sign him to the active roster. And so I think that might be what they're doing is they're trying to figure out just how much time Deontay's going to miss. But as you mentioned, Chris Olave getting back into drills today is massive for his potential availability because, you know, the issue for him is not, you know, for guys like Mike Thomas, Jarvis Landry, you know, these are these are soft tissue injuries, right? These are These are injuries that you need time to heal. For Chris, it's just about clearing the concussion protocol. And for him to already be back on the field means he is not exhibiting any symptoms. Because if he was exhibiting literally any symptoms whatsoever of a concussion, he would not be allowed to be in drills with his teammates. That's just like straight across the board. That is the rules when it comes to concussions, right? We saw last year Taysom was still seeing symptoms like weeks after he took that hit against Washington. And so I think... It means one of two. Th- it, mean, it means a few things. One, it means that I think Chris Olave has not had many concussions in his life <laughs> because it is a situation where the more you have, the harder they are to recover from. So that's a good thing for him. And it's also a situation where maybe the hit wasn't as bad as it looked in real time. And that's, you know, only good things can be taken away from the fact that he was out there today. Yeah. And, and because we know as well, ever since the incident that recently happened with Tua Tonga Bailoa, the NFL and the NFLPA got together and there's, it's a lot more strict even with the concussion protocol going on right now. So I, I was just impressed to see, obviously, yesterday he was at practice. I mean, on uh, Tuesday, on Wednesday, he was at practice uh, doing stuff off to the side, not doing the team drills. And then see him now being fully involved with the team on Thursday's practice. Yeah, huge positive sign going into Friday and hopefully Sunday because right now the the wide receiving core is thin. You know, that's that's not an overstatement right there. Yeah, and I think the the odds makers also got expected him to be out because Absolutely. he slipped behind no no not even in terms of this game. He slipped behind Brees Hall in the rookie of the year uh futures odds. Wow. And I think it's like you know you're anticipating oh he's going to miss a few games, right? right. Uh, but if he doesn't end up missing a few games, I still think he's got to be the favorite to win rookie of the year. He not only has been excellent, he leads all rookies in catches and yards uh, as a receiver, right? He's been the, the, he has been the offense for the Saints in the last few weeks. I mean, notwithstanding Taysom Hill and, and Alvin Kamara this last game, but in the receiving game, he has been the offense. And it's looking very much like with Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry, again, being out the first two days of practice, it's hard to believe they get on the field Friday and are suddenly good to go on Sunday. It's just when you've already missed a week, They've had a week and a half to get to get right. Why would they suddenly be right on Friday and ready to play on Sunday? I just I have a hard time seeing that to be true. It's just really nice to see, obviously, too. The Saints have a swing and it looks like a home run with this first round draft pick. And I mentioned to you today, I think, uh, or in the past, the fact that man, Peyton Turner, another guy that hasn't practiced again all week so far, and just a concern at defensive end, at least for me, just for the fact that his injury history and his inability to stay on the field for this team at a position that's so vital, obviously that that position opposite of Cam Jordan to go with you know that rotation with Marcus Davenport at defensive end. 
I just feel like, you know, there's there's a huge concern there just because of the fact that it just seems to be one thing after another with Peyton Turner. Yeah, and this time it's a chest injury, right? It's not it's not just one thing. Right. The, I do get I I do get a little concerned with a chest injury just because, you know, in a lot of instances that'll be like a pectoral issue and you know, when you when you injure your pec, it means that something bad happened. You know, like it's it's not an issue, an area of your body you can injure like in a minor way, right? Something mm-hmm. bad happened. Uh, so hopefully it's not a major thing and he can get back. But yeah, we haven't seen him even in a locker room. So that, and that's never a good sign. Like you can usually tell even if someone's not at practice, if they're around the team and you can and you see them kind of wandering in and out of the locker room. Like that was the case with Paulson Adebo, right? Like right. he was usually absent. And then when he was about ready to come back, he was... He was in the locker room more often. And, you know, we haven't seen that with Peyton. So I don't know how close or how far he is, but he's not on injured reserve. Um, That's a good sign. Like PJ Williams went on injured reserve last week with a quad injury. So that's going to be something to watch. But I think that Marcus Davenport and Cam Jordan can get the job done, right? That's the, that's the positive thing you can say from a health perspective is Cam is a robot. Cyborg, right, whatever. Exactly. It took a global (laughs) pandemic to get him off the field for even one week, right? (laughs) And then Marcus, you know, that has been one of the bright spots of this season in terms of, you know, the pass rush hasn't been hasn't been blowing anyone off the field. But when's the last time you got through five games and could say Marcus hadn't missed a single one of them? You well, know? You know what, what's really great, though, after those questions, after the first two games, the last three games for this Saints team, three sacks in every single game after that. So nine sacks the past three games, really big improvement from the pass rush. I mean, I tried to tell you that the first two games weren't a real thing. They were very much a mirage based well, on the RPO and then Tom Brady. But yeah, no one wanted to believe me. No, that that I thought your film breakdown with Brady was fantastic. It was like 1.89 seconds, whatever it was, that he was getting the ball out. It wasn't the smoking gun that people thought it was in terms of the defensive pass rush isn't doing its job. It was kind of like you can't really make any no take any conclusions from it whatsoever. They may have been bad. But we would never know because Tom Brady never gave you the chance to know. And that was the case with with Marcus Mariota, too. You know, I think they, there are points where they get they, they get hung on blocks a little too much. Right. I think in Minnesota, that was the case. You know, early in the game, they struggled to get to the passer. They got better as the game went on. And then as you leave guys on the field and especially this is where not having Peyton Turner affects you because you don't have that rotation that you might normally have. Yeah. And these guys get winded toward the end of games, right? Cam Jordan has actually been playing fewer snaps this year than he has throughout his career. I think he's down to like 80, 85% of the snaps, where in past seasons, you would literally be playing 100% of the defensive snaps. And I think that while Cam hasn't really slowed down, like markedly, right? Like he's still the Cam Jordan, you know, he's still racking up sacks. I think, you know, at this point in his career, you do have to be more cognizant of, if we can keep him fresh, you want to do that, right? Like there's a big difference between Cam Jordan tired and Cam Jordan rested. And we saw that at the end of last season, like it was, you know, it's it's frustrating as all hell that he his Ironman streak had to end because of COVID. But did he not look like when he got a week off and came back, like a completely different player in terms of like he's fresh? Right. Because it sure did to me, you know? And so I think that when you look at that and you kind of can draw a line from like, yeah, if we can keep him, we can be a little smarter about making sure he is not like gasping for air at the end of a game. You know, he can be more productive. And uh, I think he's been really good the last few weeks. And when he's good, Marcus Davenport uh, seems to feed off of that. And yeah, just like you mentioned with Cam, though, it's like he's a guy that he wants to be out there 99.9% of the snaps. 
you see him, it's a surprise every week, I guess, to me, the fact that he's not getting a Veterans Day rest, or it's very rarely that you see Cam Jordan, you know, taking a Wednesday off just to to get a break as a veteran. Uh, just someone who obviously loves the game and loves being around this team and wants to be that leader, that contributor constantly. Uh, uh, one, one of the best maybe draft picks of all time for this squad, honestly. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly what it is. He just loves the game of football, yeah. you know. And and I think that's an underrated thing. And it's like when you see a guy kind of flame out. I think that no one ever talks about that. Like all these guys are talented, right? You don't get to the NFL unless you're a supremely talented player. You don't get drafted in the first round unless you're an incredibly talented player. But like Vic Beasley is a good example. I talked to Thomas Dimitrov about this actually, who drafted Vic Beasley. And it was like, you know what? He was a great player. He led the league in sacks in the year they went to the Super Bowl. And then it was just like, you know, he just didn't like it. He, he, like he's, he just wasn't, his heart wasn't in it. And then he fell off as a player because you have to be committed. You have to be 10 toes in to play at, at an NFL level every week. And not everyone has that. And Cam does. And that's why he's been able to be this effective this late in his career. Demario is another good example. Like if you aren't fully committed to taking care of your body and making sure you are where you need to be every week, you're going to struggle. And speaking of another player who I think does a really good job taking care of his body, Alvin Kamara, we asked him this week if he was feeling good. He said he's feeling better yeah, than he did last that. week. So that's a good sign because, you know, anytime you're dealing with a rib injury, you worry that you take a shot to the rib, it gets a little worse. He was also asked about the other guy who's impossible to tackle, which is Taysom Hill, and he, here's what he had to say about that. Yeah, you know what's crazy? Like, we keep running that play and nobody can stop it. So I think it's Taysom at this point. Uh, it's hard to tackle him. I mean, the dude is... A freak, um, athletic. I mean, can can do everything you want him to do: block, run, catch. He could probably kick, um, you know. So tackling him, uh, I wouldn't. I don't know. I'll probably, I'll probably try to go for his legs. I think Pete Carmichael got asked the same question. He was like, "Yeah, I would admit, I would miss on purpose. Yeah, I wouldn't. I'm not trying to tackle that guy. But I don't think Pete Carmichael would want to tackle anybody. So that's kind of a weird question. But either way, he's giving you the the Olay block on that. Yeah. Um... I don't know if you had the clip queued up at all, but I thought it was really interesting what Kamara had to say about Andy Dalton as well on, on how much, you know, the, the team really rallies around him. Guys cling to him. He, he has a certain leadership quality and a certain poise to him. That, um, I mean, I think the guys gravitate towards too. Um, smart, obviously. I mean, the quarterback, he's been in this league for a while. He knows what he wants to get to. He knows what he wants to do. Um, I mean, you know, some, sometimes, you know, you kind of look at the quarterback like he's like, like, you can't talk to him, but Andy's the first one talking. You know, if he sees something or if he likes something, you know, he, he comes and tells us or he'll, he'll tell Pete, he'll tell DA. And, um, I mean, that's that's great to have um, a quarterback that's community, communi that's able to communicate uh, that way. Um, and, I mean, he just he just about having fun. Like, he really, like, he, he, he want to have a swag out there. So, you know, um, I think just him having that type of demeanor and that type of poise, you know, it, it helps the guys around him. I know exactly what you're going to say. Which quarterback does he not feel like he can go and talk to? Right. That's a right. weird thing to say. But I do, you know, obviously That's this is a guy who played with Drew Brees. Sure, right. So, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily that um, because he's a guy who, who encountered Drew Brees for the first time in like year 16. So I think I'm going to give Alvin the benefit of the doubt in the sense that I don't think, I think he's a savvy enough person that he wouldn't have said that if he was referring to Jameis. And he's played with several quarterbacks in his career. But it's a it's a weird thing to hear when you're talking about a backup and you're like suddenly he's like, oh, yeah, we can go talk to him. 
Right. And yeah, that's it's a it's a weird thing to hear. Um, because I'm sure you feel the same way. The personality and the demeanor of Jameis Winston, you wouldn't think that would be an issue at all. I'm gonna be diplomatic when I say this, but so one of the things that bugs me about Jameis Winston is he doesn't answer your questions. Well, he's sure. A, he's right. a platitudes guy. And when things are going well, that works. When things are going well, sure, right. I gotta protect the ball better, blah, blah, blah. Like you're not really answering questions. You're just going, you're just you're catchphrasing, right? And when things aren't going as well, you need someone who's just gonna stand up there and be honest. And I think that's true for the media. That's what you want as a media member. And I think that's what you want as a as a player. And obviously, I'm not in that locker room. I have no idea how he interacts with his teammates. But just from my what I've been able to observe with Jameis is that's that's what he comes off to me as a platitudes guy. And you know, Chris Richard is the same way. Everyone loves Chris Richard, and I think he's an excellent defensive defensive coordinator for this team, co-defensive coordinator. But I think that when you're talking about like a guy who you need to go up and be able to talk to and be honest with, that doesn't always work. So that's what I wonder about. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's if it is right. an issue. But if if there is an issue with kind of bringing things up to him, I think that's what it would be. Is you know, you just need someone who's gonna who's gonna listen and then give you an honest response and. As a as, from a media perspective, I don't always feel that from James. No, I would definitely agree, and that does from from our aspect. Uh, you know, talking with him gets to be frustrating. I don't know honestly how the interaction is with the rest of his team, but you know, from what we heard of him being, you know, that locker room guy, you know, fun loving Jameis, he seems a bit silly. I would just think that the communication would be pretty easy with him. It was just. That's why I thought today when when Camara, you know, had those comments, it's like, wait a minute, who who are you directing that to exactly? But with with Andy Dalton too, we were mentioning the fact that it's really interesting the fact he's could be going against, you know, his old team for a third straight year now, uh, despite playing for two other NFC squads. So it just seems like destiny that he's always matched up with the Cincinnati Bengals. And he started both those games. And keep in mind, he was not the starter for the Cowboys until Dak Prescott went down with an ankle injury. He was the starter for the Bears, but then he got benched for Justin Fields. So, like, it wasn't even a guarantee that he was the starter at that point in the season, but both both times he was. And he, so he's played. he's managed to play the Bengals uh, the past two seasons, and I would bet money that he's the starter this week. And, you know, we're going to get into a lot more of this with Mike Petralia, but... I think the the reason for that for me is, you know, this is a guy who you haven't been able to get on the field for two consecutive weeks. And I don't think that you want to put him on the field and then wonder about his availability for Thursday night football. I think it would make a lot more sense to give Andy a third start. And he's played well enough that you're not concerned about that. Right. Like it's, it's not a, it's not an issue of like, okay, Andy can't win this game. Like if it was, if this was Trevor Simeon, I'd be like, man, I don't know if he has the juice. I think Andy does have the juice to get through this game. And then you come back Thursday night football fresh and you don't have to worry about Andy coming back in a short week. So that's another benefit. I thought something that was also interesting from Wednesday's comments, talking to the coordinators, P Carmichael jr. Saying that the offense has been in a really good rhythm the past two weeks and, you know, being efficient on first and second down to set up those, you know, manageable third down situations, which we weren't seeing early on to give Jameis some leeway there he was banged up dealing with the the back and the ankle issue. But, I mean, there, there's no denying that things have run a little smoother with Dalton in so far. Yeah, well, they've also been playing terrible defenses. So, right, absolutely. Like, it's... I, 
I, I don't know, guys. Like, <laughs> you go play the Seahawks, you put up 39 points. That's kind you of better. the deal. Right? right. You better the put Lions put up them. 45 the week before that. Exactly. Like, circumstances matter. It's like saying, well, you have a seven and two starting quarterback sitting over there in Taysom Hill. You know the teams he played, right? The opponents matter. The situation matters. He has played very well in a backup role, and that's what you need out of him. That's why you signed him. But I'm so tired of hearing like, wow, the offense is, is, is looking incredible. It's like the offense is the offense. You played bad teams. You, you beat one of them. You have to continue to improve on the offensive side of the ball. And I think you do that by bringing your starting quarterback back and hoping that as a healthy person, he can, he can play better. But anyway, that's, that's my thing. Yeah. And one, and one thing for me, I don't know why it gets, I guess, cause we're still early on in the season and people want to have something to talk about is the fact that what keeps getting mentioned constantly is what is the identity of, of this offense? What, what does this offense want to do? Well, I think it's pretty clear that you, you want to pound the ball with your guys like Alvin Kamara and a Taysom Hill, and then being able to, to, to hit some shots with your guys like an, a Chris Olave and hopefully Mike Thomas and Jarvis Landry getting back into the mix. But this team is definitely a run-first ball club. I think every team would prefer to be a run-first ball club. That's kind of what Pete said today. It's like, would you rather throw the ball 60 times or run the ball 48 times? It's like, if you're running the ball 48 times, things are usually right, going. Controlling well. the clock, right. Right. Every team would love to have a run-first identity because that means you are succeeding in the run game, and life is a lot easier for you as an NFL team if you're succeeding in the run game. That's what happened against the Seahawks, and that's what they would love to happen every week. If they can't run the ball, they're going to go right back to being a passing football team. So I don't think I don't think we have any idea what the identity of this team is yet, but I do know they are a team whose identity is we need to win a football game and get back to 500. So that's what uh, that's what I'm going to give them going into Week Six. Well, I just think like when you had a game where Drew Brees was maybe passing 40 times a game, you felt like you could still win. You had a chance to win. But with the current situation with Jameis or with Andy Dalton, and if you're passing that many times, that's not a good sign for this team at all. No, especially when when your wide receiver one is Marquez Callaway. <laughs> right. Actually, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a lot of you know, circumstances all around it. Right. Hopefully it's Olave. But again, you know, he's not a guarantee. There's a chance you go into this game with the 2020 receiving core. Minus Deontay Hardy. Unreal. Plus Keith Kirkwood. <laughs> <laughs> he's back. Keith. I got to hang out with Keith the other night at the touchdown club of New Orleans. Keith's a really good guy. I've never I hadn't gotten a chance to kind of sit with him and talk to him. Uh he was telling me about how much Carolina sucked. <laughs> wow, really, huh? Well, not not the team, just like just Charlotte. He didn't okay. want to be like he he was like, I was so happy to come back to New Orleans. Like I just didn't enjoy it up there. And I was like, I don't blame you. I lived up in South Carolina for a while and I prefer it down here. Thought that was funny. That was like he I didn't even ask him about Charlotte. That was like the so, first thing I, so I was like, Oh, you enjoy the vibe of Carolinas. I figure she at least got good barbecue, but it's just not a really hop in place. He just didn't really care for the atmosphere. Okay. He, and he's like, you know, he's a Matt Rule guy. He went to Temple with Matt Rule as his head coach. So it's like, right, he knows yeah. Matt Rule well. He enjoyed the team. And he was with a bunch of his Saints teammates, right? He had Teddy throwing the ball. But yeah, it was it was kind of funny. But all right, that's a, that's a tangent. Let's let's get this thing back on track. We have Mike Petralia, host of the Jungle War Pod, coming at you. We're going to get into a lot of the Saints players who left and are coming back this weekend and all those LSU players who left and are coming back this weekend. Stick around for that on Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. Oh, and before we go, and uh, Mike tries to dispute this, who that came first. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. My name is Jeff Nowak, as always, alongside Steve Geller. And as we mentioned in the open, we have a special guest here to help us understand what is going on with the Super Bowl Bengals that we know so well. Is Mike Petralli, a host of the Jungle Roar podcast and a Bengals reporter for CLNS Media. How are you doing today, Mike? Thanks for joining us. Guys, I'm doing very, very well. I'm looking forward to a trip to the bayou and some great eating on Saturday night. That's how I'm doing. I cannot wait for Saturday night. The game will be great, but I can't wait for Saturday night. <laughs> Andy Dalton, me and Steve were talking about this, and we are like, oh, maybe this is the first time Andy's gone back and played his former team. He's only been on NFC teams the last three seasons, so there was a chance. And then we look it up. No, this will be the third consecutive season he has managed to play the Bengals. And so I'm just I'm just curious, you know, how is that kind of relationship with a former quarterback as he comes and just plays this team that has suddenly gone to the Super Bowl <laughs> since he left? Well, it, it's interesting. First of all, Andy Dalton is 2-0 against his former team, yeah. having beat the, uh, beaten the Bengals with the Cowboys in 2020. Uh, the Bears upset the Bengals in week two last year. Uh, but uh, Lou Anarumo was uh, asked about Andy on uh, Wednesday and said nothing but glowing things and said, we know what kind of player Andy is. We know what kind of person Andy is great in both regards. A lot of guys in that locker room still love Andy Dalton and think the world of him. Uh, Cheeto Awuzie played with him uh, in Dallas before joining the Bengals as a free agent before 2021 uh, said that uh, he was the uh, moderator in many debates in the locker room between different Cowboys. And so there is a lot of fondness for Andy Dalton in that locker room. But I will tell you that I think this time around, the Bengals are more prepared to ha handle Andy and will give him some different looks if indeed he is the starting quarterback on Sunday. Yeah, well, our quarterback situation here obviously gets a lot of attention between, you know, Jameis Winston now being injured and Andy Dalton filling in. The Saints fans here still have a lot of interest in the Bengals quarterback, obviously, who was an LSU stud, having that amazing, perfect run with Tigers, the national championship in the Superdome. And I know Burrow has talked about it this week, about coming back to the Caesars Superdome and playing again. And we know the type of guy he is and the player that he is as well. But how has he been, I guess, readapting to life in Ohio after 
becoming a Louisianian for a while. Well, it's interesting you ask that because uh, how he's dealt with it is he two weeks ago, or actually last week, announced the formation of the Joe Burrow Foundation uh, with me and his mom and dad. And that was a way for him to give back not only to his native Ohio, Athens, Ohio, where Ohio University is located. Everybody knows the story, went to Ohio State, then transferred to LSU, but also give back to some communities in desperate need in Louisiana. So his thinking was, I'm not just going to give back to Ohio. Louisiana had a huge huge impact on me and and gave me the opportunity to become Joe Burrow Heisman Trophy winner. And that is the regard I think Joe Burrow holds for his uh, college hometown. In terms of Jamar Chase, he's looking back, uh, looking forward to going to New Orleans Food and Spirits for a voodoo doll. And I think I've got that right. He said voodoo doll, and I think it's called a voo-boo doll. But anyway, it's uh, where he's telling all of his uh, teammates to go on Saturday night before the game on Sunday, get some good Cajun seafood. So, and we were talking about this as well. You know, this is a Bengals team that the Saints haven't faced. Right. Uh, but they spent, a, you know, I think Saints fans have spent a lot of time watching the Bengals and ro- even rooting for the Bengals through last year's playoffs. And, and then the players are also familiar with, with these, this Bengals team because you obviously have Trey Hendrickson, Von Bell, and uh, Eli Apple, who is kind of a running joke. Yeah. That, uh, everyone is, everyone is Eli fans Apple of has not been available in the locker room to talk about uh, said comments to New Orleans <laughs> Saints fans back in January. Just I, I want to clean that up and uh, make sure you guys are aware of that. Yeah, how convenient. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he's not a fan of crawfish. He's not a fan of the smell. But it, he, Alvin did have some funny comments to say about uh, Trey today, and so let's listen to him, and uh, we can we can react to him in real time. Oh my God, Trey! And I always talk about Trey. My story about Trey in 2017, and this might this might be funny. Where I'm from, anytime you see a white boy with silver chain and like silver bracelet on, <laughs> you know, so, so Trey, it, like he played like that, you know what I'm saying? Like he was just an a- angry, like gritty, nasty dude, like didn't care, like he going 100 miles per hour every play, and I mean, he, shoot, he got paid, and he, he's a staple in that in that Cincinnati defense. So, I mean, that's a, that's angry white boy Trey. <laughs> angry white boy Trey. I will tell you, he plays angry. He plays inspired. Bengals love him on their defense. And that is one of the best free agent acquisitions by the Bengals in recent memory. Might be uh, in their top five all time, certainly. He has had a huge impact on mostly the right side of the defensive line. Uh, There are times where they switch he and uh, Sam Hubbard. But it gives the Bengals legit top five NFL defensive end bookends. Uh, So, you know, Trey Hendrickson's been a very quiet but dominant force in that on that defense and uh, the Bengals his defensive teammates love him yeah I even remember training camps here when he first came in the offensive linemen were like dude chill out it's just practice and he's a guy that just goes 100 miles per hour all the time we had a couple of those episodes uh, in training camp uh, this summer as a matter of fact uh, where Trey Hendrickson got in the face of L. Collins, as a matter of fact, um, as well as Cordell Volson, uh, the rookie, and Alex Kappa. And I think that was his way of letting everybody know, look, it's training camp. 
but we need to get serious competitive reps in here and get ready for the season. And I don't know if it's just coincidence, but the defense in the first five games is way ahead of the offense uh, in terms of uh, where the Bengals view their team as a whole. I think that's kind of where where I'm interested in going from here, which is, you know, what has been limiting this Bengals offense to this point in the season? Like, it seemed like last year, all we could hear about was was Jamar Chase going downfield and making these huge plays. And I think I saw a stat that the Bengals are last in the NFL in big plays generated to this yep. point in the season. And that just, it's crazy to me having not watched a lot of Bengals games this season after having watched what they did in the playoffs last season. What's been limiting them so much? Pretty simple. I'll boil it down to this. A lot of teams, almost every team they've played actually has played uh, some form of Tampa two cover two, high shell cloud, whatever you want to even bracket on Jamar chase that they have shown the Bengals in these defensive secondary looks, they're not going to let them go deep. You're going to take everything you want underneath. And Joe Burrow hasn't been very patient. He's tried to find his shots downfield. He's held on to the ball way too long, and he's admitted that. And it's why he took 13 sacks and 30 hits in the first two games of the year, both losses to the Steelers and Cowboys. He has got to start doing a better job of taking his checkdowns and taking his checkdowns quickly so that when he gets the ball in the hands of a Hayden Hurst or a Joe Mixon or a Tyler Boyd, somebody uh, in the underneath of the defense, they can do damage with it quickly. And that's on Burrow. And that's one of the things I would look for this week. The other name that I just mentioned, Tyler Boyd, he has not been getting hardly any targets. And that is shocking given how many uh, opportunities there have been underneath for uh, Joe Burrow to throw uh, to target him. And I think that's going to change this week. The Bengals are on the edge or on the verge, I think, of really breaking out a good running game. Uh, Joe Mixon had his best game of the year last week. He averaged over five and a half yards a touch, but he only touched the ball 14 times. He's got to get the ball uh, more times than that, if you ask me, uh, for this Bengals team to be successful. Bengals have not been effective in play action. And when they used it last week, what did Joe Burrow do? Play action and Mixon threw immediately over the middle for Jamar Chase. And the ball was picked off by his former LSU teammate, Patrick Queen. Um, he's got Burrow's got to be better. He has not had a good start to the year. One of the guys that me and uh, Jeff were talking about earlier today was the fact that uh, this Saints team doesn't seem to want to pay safeties at all. A guy that left and went over to the Bengals has been a real impact player, I know, for them. Was a guy that even here was someone that just had a knack for being around the football and getting turnovers. Von Bell, what's his impact been for this Cincinnati team? Has he been that vocal leader, too, on that side of the ball over there? So not as vocal, I don't think. I mean, certainly he communicates, and certainly there's a bond there. But the way he prepares, the way he comes in uh, to practice or comes into the building every day between 5.30 and 6 in the morning every single day. Cheeto Awuzie said this morning, I get in about an hour early for everything. And he's been here two, two and a half hours already. There's no way I'm ever going to beat him into the building. I've conceded that. But Von Bell is a has been huge for the Bengals. And there are a lot of people in Cincinnati who believe both in and around the team and the fan base who think they need to sign Vaughn Bell before they sign Jesse Bates. And Jesse Bates is going to get 
a you know a massive contract. He is that kind of valuable quarterback as a safety type of player in, on the defense. Whereas Von Bell, I think a lot of teams and Louie Rumo, the defensive coordinator, said this. A lot of teams think he is just a box safety, meaning he plays down on the box, run support. He said, I never ever have looked at him that way. He has obviously shown us he can range, he can pick off the ball uh, and really uh, be a force as a intercepting safety. And he had, leads the team with three picks this year, including one on Sunday night against the Ravens. Um, the other thing I will tell you uh, is that uh, Lou Anarumo was asked, well, why, if, if you're seeing all these great things about Von Bell and everything he brings to your defense, why would a team like New Orleans let him go? And he smiled and he said, I don't know. I guess that's good for us. It's a it's a great break for us, and I'm glad we have them. Yeah, and I think that's been a theme of the last few years is the Saints, they've drafted very well, and they haven't been able to pay everyone. So we talked about Trey Hendrickson. He was part of that 2017 draft class that included Alvin Kamara, Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchek, Marcus Williams, obviously Trey. And it, it has been funny to watch these guys go around the league and just and just be those guys that we knew they were. But, you know, so one thing we can get into, I think the Saints and the Bengals are in very similar situations right now where they're both two and three. Yep. And the three losses feel like games they could have and probably should have won. And I think the Bengals are even in worse shape in that regard, considering they've all been walk-off field goals. How has the mood been around that team? Because I know the Saints were on a three-game losing streak and it felt, I don't know, I want to say dark, but it felt uh, gloomy for a few days there. And, and for a team that has obvious Super Bowl aspirations, that's got to be tough. It's not been gloomy, but if they lose this week, it definitely will be. I will assure you that, that this team should not be two and three. They should be at the very worst, uh, three and two, four and one likely. And there's certainly if they had managed the games at the end properly, I think there's a, a argument to be made for them being five and oh, they are the first team in NFL history to lose on their first three games all on walk-offs. That's never happened before in NFL history. And, you know, obviously, if you're an optimist, glass half full, that means you're that close to being five and oh, and either one of, you know, two of those games go the other way, you're four and one, and the context of your season changes drastically. Well, if the Bengals go in into the Superdome on Sunday against a banged up New Orleans team and spit the bit and don't hand, don't produce points. There's a serious problem, and I think changes will be made in the way the plays are called. There's been a lot of angst here in Cincinnati about the play calling, especially at the end of the third quarter on Sunday night when they called two trick plays, so to speak, um, at, to, from first and goal at the two-yard line. And Bengals fans were furious at that, especially given the fact they were running the ball so well with Joe Mixon to gain two yards and run 20 yards in the process to get those two yards infuriates a lot of fans around here, at least right now, because the results aren't there. We've talked a lot about a bit the uh, the big names, obviously, on this offense, but do you think there is maybe a lesser-known guy that could be an X factor in this game that Saints fans should be aware of? That's a great question. I, I would probably say look out for a Mike Thomas. If, if uh, excuse me, <laughs> oh, if, How fitting. <laughs> yes, correct. Uh, if because um, Mike Thomas had a 33-yard reception the other night, leading to Cincinnati's uh, first touchdown in the first half after the Von Bell interception that set him up at the uh, 17 
at the Cincinnati 17. I'd say look out for Mike Thomas. Look out for Hayden Hurst. He is some somebody, you know, Saints fans know very well from his days with the Falcons. And he is somebody that could do big-time damage in the seam. I've been calling for the Bengals to use this quick seam, seam route uh, as a way to uh, allow Joe Burrow to get rid of the ball quickly and still at the same time attack defenses vertically. The Bengals have been horrific this year attacking defenses vertically. They just haven't been able to do it. And that's one of the reasons they are last in the National Football League in um, you know explosive plays. Yeah, Hayden Hurst is a guy who interests me because, you know, especially that matchup last week, he, he was a first-round draft pick, yes. and he, he never really got that. a chance in Baltimore because Mark Andrews was so good. And so that head-to-head last week was really interesting. Does he look like a first-round draft pick as, yeah. as a tight end? Yes, he does. He is a freakish athlete. He's been nothing but positive here. Even with the team struggling, he's been uh, very, very, a very good influence uh, in that locker room. And uh, Joe Burrow loves him. And I think, you know, he is somebody I think the Bengals would like to revisit uh, on a multi-year deal uh, going forward after this year. Of course, they have to, they have a lot of priorities on defense to address in terms of contract signing. And oh, by the way, there's the possibility of a Patrick Mahomes-like deal for Joe Burrow at the end of this year if Burrow turns it around and starts to show uh, he is, again, the quarterback they thought they had uh, at the end of last year, which is a franchise quarterback for the next 10 years. They also have to be concerned about T. Higgins and because he will be up, and they have to uh, take a look at uh, Jamar Chase down the road, although uh, that's not as much of a priority because uh, they do have a fifth-year option with him on his rookie deal. We've been talking to Mike Petralia at Trags on Twitter. Check him out. He's the host of the Jungle Roar Pod and the Bengals reporter at CLNS Media over in Cincinnati. Make sure to check out his stuff. We're going to be coming back here on Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. And we're going to get more into what we can expect in this matchup. And I want to talk about if this goes well for the Saints, what will they have attacked in the Bengals' defense? Stick around for that. here on Inside Black and Gold. We're still hanging out with Mike Petralia. Make sure to check him out at Trags on Twitter. And I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller. And, you know, this Saints offense has been kind of hit or miss this season. You know, last week, obviously, it was a ground and pound offense with Taysom Hill, Alvin Kamara. They combined for about 300 yards. And I'm just curious, you know, after watching five games of this Bengals defense, what have teams done well against them in in a perfect world for the saints for them to to make it hurt on the bengals defense in this game what would they want to attack well that's a a great question i would say underneath pass uh attack them underneath with the passing game they you know most teams um do have a weakness when you're very good on the corners and then safeties uh play deep uh they have the ability to certainly throw underneath bengals for the most part, have defended mobile quarterbacks well, though the RPO did give them some issues last week on the final drive of the game where Lamar Jackson uh, was torching them with outside runs. So if you have a fast quarterback who can get to the edge 
and, and you have good blockers who can seal the edge against the Bengals, there are gaps there to be had. Uh, the Bengals have given up some explosive runs this year. But for the most part, uh, this is a very sound Bengals defense. And I don't think you're going to beat them deep. I just the, the corners are so fundamentally sound. I guess you could say you could attack Eli Apple. He has given up big plays before, and he's uh, been called for uh, a defensive holding and a pa defensive pass interference or two this year. They'd probably go after Eli Apple would be my guess. Uh, but the rest of the secondary is rock solid. It's deep. It's versatile. Uh, so, you know, they're, the, the Saints are going to have to pick and choose. But maybe, you know, Try to confuse the Bengals with different looks, different schemes. Show them things offensively they have not seen on film. One of the things, you know, we talk about Eli Apple and definitely the Houdat Nation here. No love lost for him or his mom even. Uh, but I was just curious, what is the Bengals fan base feeling about his play since it's so up and down? Boy, um, mostly good. He's been very reliable. He's probably had... Uh, his most consistent start to a season here in his second year in Cincinnati. Uh, and he hasn't given up a lot of plays. And that's really, on this defense, what you're looking for. You make you want to make sure that, you know, if you do get called for a defensive pass interference once in a while, that's going to happen. It's National Football League. Most fans live with that. And I would say, for the most part, fans have been very happy with him. And he'll always have a fond place in the hearts of Bengal fans for what he did uh, at halftime of the Chiefs game last year in the AFC Championship, keeping Tyreek Hill out of the end zone. He doesn't make that tackle. They lose the game. There's no question about that. And so he's lived on that goodwill for quite a while. He did not have a great Super Bowl. Right. But again, fans were willing to write that off because the offense didn't have a great game as well. Eli's an interesting character, and I, I've known about Eli for a long time. He was the, an Ohio State guy, which so it doesn't exactly confuse anyone why he ended up with the Saints. But I grew up watching the Giants, so I got to see him earlier in his career. And then he came down here and hung out with us with the Saints for a while. And, you know, it's, it is interesting to me to see how guys just kind of float around the league, uh, especially guys that kind of torch the bridges behind them everywhere they go yeah um, and but i will tell you that i think you know eli is on a prove it one year 3.275 million dollar deal here and you know there isn't there wasn't a lot of risk in signing him to bring him back to be part of a secondary he knows well and they know him and i think that was a big part of why the bengals were so comfortable uh with him in the secondary opposite cheeto awuzie you mentioned Saturday night. You're looking forward to coming yeah. here and going out to eat. Do you have a you have a place already picked out where you're going or not yet? Uh, okay, I do. And uh, at Drago's. Oh yeah. Char broiled. Oyster, uh, baby. Oyster. Yes, that's where we're going, at least for appetizers. And good choice. Good choice. And we'll see where the uh, uh, night takes us from there. But char broiled oysters. I'm a big oyster person. I love jambalaya. I love I love Cajun food. That's why I'm so excited for Saturday night. A genuine Cajun food. Yeah, I say that a lot. Like we, there are times where, especially like the Pelicans, for instance, will yep. almost lose the stadium to opposing fans because <laughs> it's it's just like if you're trying to find a road game, you're going to go to right. New Orleans is a place that people want to go, right? You know, I don't think that that's the case for a lot of a lot of teams. Like no one's dying to go to. 
to East Rutherford, New Jersey, for example. Yeah. Although I'll go to the New New York City's right there. So you could that's probably a bad example, but I think New Orleans is probably a little bit easier on the budget. Yeah, yeah good bang for your buck. Um, yeah, great bang for your buck and great restaurants in terms of not being uh, overly expensive. If you go out in New York, you're going to drop 150, 200 bucks like that. <laughs> Easy, right? Well, so mm-hmm. I guess my question was more. Do you expect Bengals fans to travel well for this game? For a number of reasons. The one you just mentioned, because New Orleans is a destination uh, in the bayou, great restaurants, uh, lots of gaming opportunities, lots of nightlife opportunities, um, and the LSU impact, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of uh, LSU fans became Bengal fans because of Jamar Chase, because of Joe Burrow. And even Thad Moss. I mean, there's there was a right. Tyler Shelvin. Um, there are a lot of LSU connections uh, or connections between LSU and the Bengals. And I think that will translate on Sunday to being a huge uh, impact in the Superdome. I would expect upwards of eight to 10,000 Bengal mm-hmm. fans in the Superdome on Sunday, at least. Do Cincinnati fans have as much angst as Saints fans about the who dat versus who day. Okay. This is a sensitive subject to me. Yes. Okay. It's very sensitive. 1981. That <laughs> began for us. When did it begin for you guys? That's a great question. Actually. I don't know that offhand. Cause I am of the belief that who day came first, but who That's always the, the debate, right? Which came first? I think who day did, but then again, I'm a Cincinnati native. <laughs> I went away. I covered the new England Patriots. <laughs> For 27 years, I came back in 2020. Great year last year. It was, you know, one of the most memorable years of my uh, journalistic career. I loved it. It was a fun sure. team to cover. But being back in Cincinnati, that is one of the things that has always kind of been like a burr under your cross, something like that. Burr yeah, under, yeah. Your, and it's been like that for me. But hey, look, they're both great football bases. I really believe that. I know I saw a poll the other day saying that. Bengal fans are among the worst fan bases in football. I don't believe that at all. I really don't. Um, I think that, fans would argue it's Falcons fans. <laughs> um, I could see that. And, and and Atlanta, unfortunately, has that reputation across the board, across all sports. Now that the Braves are doing much better, the sure. Braves fans certainly show up. But I think the Bengal fans have been traveling well in the last year or so since the team got hot towards the end of last year, carried through the playoffs. They finally won a playoff game, won it at home. And then they traveled remarkably well, shockingly well to Tennessee and Kansas City. I was blown away. As a Cincinnati native, I'd never seen Bengal fans travel like that. They were they showed up in force at the Super Bowl. And uh, they've been showing up well on the road so far this year. But again, that's why... For the Bengals, games like Sunday mean a lot more than, let's say, the Steelers who ha- or the Patriots who have all of those Super Bowl rings right. and are going to have that fan base for at least the next generation or two. The Bengals need to capitalize on their success of last year with a generational quarterback. And I think Bengal fans are nervous that they went to a Super Bowl and they've done this before two other times, and then they kind of fall off a cliff. And they don't want to see that happen with the quarterback and the opportunity and the window they have with guys like uh, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Yeah, I think it's like whenever you get to the Super Bowl the way the Bengals did, and it seems so easy and so early in all of these yeah. star players' career, right. it's kind of like 
you remember the Oklahoma City Thunder with Kevin Durant back when they had James Harden and Russell Westbrook and they got there and they're like, oh, they didn't win. But don't worry, they got all these guys they are going to get back and they never did. That's kind of where I see that. And uh, I've done a quick kind of look over here to see who came up with the the Houdat champers. (laughs) And I I can't figure it out. But I do know the Houdat Nation is far more litigious when it comes to the copyright of it. I believe that. Yes, yes, yeah, you, you can't. We had to be careful with the name of this podcast because we, we couldn't use anything like couldn't that. Use anything with who that in it? But um, kind of a, a pivot here, kind of to a topic that I I've had great interest in, and you know I'm not a big fan of player comps. I think they often just try to oversimplify with the fact that there are a lot of different types of players, and everyone kind of does their own thing. But the one that I've always found interesting is the Joe Burrow to Tom Brady comp, yeah. and. The reason for that is not anything to do with how they play is has everything to do with how they prepare. And the fact that at an early point in their career, they had like a Genesis moment where everyone told them they weren't good enough. And they, they responded to that by being a crazy person and working harder than everybody else. For Tom Brady, it was the draft. He got passed over. He went to 200 and something, whatever it was for Joe Burrow. It happened at Ohio state and they passed over him for Dwayne Haskins, who, you know, Dwayne Haskins was a great quarterback, so it's hard to it's hard to blame them for doing that. But he went to LSU and he became this maniacal worker. And I think that more than anything else is what makes Tom Brady the great player that he is. And I think that's what makes Joe Burrow the great player that he is. And after watching him at, at what he did at LSU, and I'm curious, you know, from what you've seen in the NFL, would you kind of agree with that? You know, how would you say that comparison uh, looks to you? Well, I've been very fortunate to have covered Tom Brady his first 20 years and now Joe Burrow um, his last year and a half. And I will tell you the similarities I see are in the competitiveness, uh, the preparedness. I think they're both equally uh, prepared and competitive. I think Joe Burrow is ahead of him physically uh, in terms of his physical maturity. He's bigger, he's stronger than uh, Brady was in year number three. And Brady, even though Brady had won the Super Bowl in 2001, he had not become Tom Brady, so to speak, until really late in the 2000s when he came back from the knee injury. Uh, He certainly quarterbacked three Super Bowl champions. I'm not saying that, but he hadn't become the world's um, sensation at quarterback until he got Randy Moss and Wes Welker and, and things really changed then. And right now, Joe Burrow has those receivers. And that's what's fascinating to watch for me. I think what's happening with Joe Burrow, though, is Burrow is being challenged up front with what can he do? What should he do? Is he trying to force too much? And that's the difference I see. I think Tom Brady early in his career was able to make adjustments more quickly in games uh, to his style and his methods. Joe Burrow is a little, I think, a little more stubborn than Tom Brady was. Um, And when you talk to scouts who watch both of these teams and you talk to uh, people who have seen both quarterbacks, they say Tom Brady is willing and was willing to take those checkdowns I talked about a little while ago and say, well, if you're going to make us Uh, make us beat you with 15 plays on a drive, we'll beat you with 15 plays. And we'll get up 21 to three because our defense is that good. And because every time we take a 15 play drive, our defense is resting. And I think Joe Burrow needs to look at it like that a little bit more, grind out drives instead of thinking, I've got to attack, I've got to feed Jamar and T Higgins and Tyler Boyd down the field. 
change that attitude, say, we're if that's what you're going to give us, we're going to take it, we're going to beat you. And Burrow has been saying that early on in the year, but his actions say something different. I think on Sunday, if the Saints come out in that too high shell, which from what I understand, and you guys know better than I do, is – unusual to say the least the saints don't play a lot of too high shell especially with Lattimore, um who usually travels with the best receiver but he's pretty he's banged up dealing with an abdominal injury and hasn't been practicing unfortunately for the saints right and if he doesn't play and they go to that too high shell then joe burrow is going to have to put his money where his mouth is and start beating them with passes underneath and beat him with a thousand paper cuts you know that's what that's the difference i see between a joe burrow and tom brady but they're both incredibly intensely competitive they'll smile at you when you're face to face with them like in press conferences but away from the podium they have a different mindset they're both very intense yeah interested to see what uh joe burrow's got in store for his attire for yeah, game day and it's always are. interesting i i I would like to see a Florida Lee or two or three. I think that would be a nice touch. That would be a nice I'm expecting a lot of purple and gold for LSU stuff. Well, how about purple and gold Florida Lees? There you go. There you go. I think that would be awesome. Okay, and we're talking with Mike Petralia at Trags on Twitter. Check him out. The host of the Jungle Roar podcast and Bengals reporter at CLNS Media. One yeah. more question before yeah. I let you go. One of the things Joe said this week when he was asked about kind of Jamar and their relationship as they got to Cincinnati. He said that he had to kind of play translator yes. for Jamar because no one could understand him with the accent. And I'm curious, you know, did you have that problem when you when he talked to Jamar the first time? Not too much, but I think that's because I spent 27 years in New England with Jamar. Yeah. And, you know, Jamar Chase doesn't come out. It <laughs> comes out Jamar Chase or Lamar Jackson, yeah. and I can pick up on different accents pretty quickly, usually. Uh, and living in New England um, helped me with that. And so I would say I, I don't have that big of a problem. And Jamar, I will tell you, Jamar Chase is one of the more pleasant, genuine people I've been around in the locker room. He's incredibly approachable. He There is no air about him. Trey Hendrickson's intimidating. I will yeah. tell you that. He's, he is probably the more most intimidating presence in that locker room to approach as a reporter. And the other guy that I would tell you, it, it can be a little mercurial. How's that for a word? Is Eli Apple. Because I think Eli is very aware of his background. He's very aware of some of the struggles he's had in his past. Guarded, right. And I think he doesn't want to say too much. Well, well, that's because he knows if the longer he's, the more likely he's going to say something dumb. Well, to us, right? (laughs) He doesn't want to say something to us because he knows if he says something inflammatory, it's going to get broadcast immediately. Whereas if something happens with he or his mom on social media, I think he believes there's a little more control to it. I don't know. I'm just talking here. Yeah, definitely with Trey Hendrickson, I always found with him, you could tell he doesn't want to be talking to the media, and there was a lot of three, four-word answers all the time from him. Uh, You know what? And and there have been those moments, but there has also been moments where he's been very thoughtful, expansive. He's been very good after losses, you know, frustrated, but uh, very articulate and explaining, you know, what went wrong 
and how disappointed, you know, everybody is, you know, the defense has been playing great Trey, but again, how frustrating is it to lose? And he's like, win as a team, lose as a team. And we're, that's never going to change about the culture in this locker room. It's never going to change. And I, th- those are the kind of words you, you hear from leaders that, you know, there's no, when players say there's no finger pointing and that's the sign of a good locker room, I believe that about this Bengal team, even if they were to lose, there would be frustration, severe frustration, but I don't necessarily think guys would come out and start pointing fingers. Well, we're going to find out one way or the other if we're going to be hearing who day or who dad after the game, which one's louder. Thanks so much, Mike Petralia, at Trags on Twitter, host of the Jungle Roar podcast and Bengals reporter. Check out his stuff and you know we'll see you this weekend. It's going to be an interesting one. Guys, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure and I'm counting the hours and the minutes and the seconds to Saturday night's meal. Enjoy the oysters, oysters, my man. I am going to. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. That wraps up this week's edition of Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak gearing up for a big week six showdown. Cincinnati two and three coming to the Superdome against the Saints who are two and three. We've talked about all the big names, big matchup. Bengals, Saints, Andy Dalton against his old team. Should be a great one. Hopefully a positive post-game podcast will follow. We'll be talking to you more on Sunday after the game. Signing off, Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak here on the Inside Black and Gold podcast. Brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. Peace.